What the f What the f Shock and disbelief at a tragedy in the B.C. interior that is being felt across the country tonight. A Canadian Armed Forces snowbird plane nearing the end of the nationwide morale-bursting tour operation inspiration plunges into a Kamloops home. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. One member of that team has died and another was, ha was ejected from the cockpit, landing on a house. That pilot is in hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And we can confirm the team member who died was Captain Jennifer Casey. She was based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and her loss comes on the heels of a military helicopter crash off Greece and the mass shooting in that province. The country's military aerobatics team, the aviation community here, and all of Canada are sharing in this terrible loss. Tonight, our Paul Johnson is standing by in Kamloops, where the Snowbirds plane crashed down onto a home in the Brocklehurst neighborhood of the city. We will take you there live in a moment. But first, Sarah McDonald begins our coverage with what happened and what witnesses in Kamloops saw and felt. What started as the final leg in a cross-country voyage meant to bolster the spirits of Canadians went tragically wrong in a matter of seconds on Sunday. What the f No way! They went over and split, and one just sort of spiraled and crashed. There was no shortage of eyewitnesses to the final moments of one of two occupants on board this Canadian Forces jet. Captain Jennifer Casey, a former journalist turned public affairs officer for the Snowbirds, confirmed killed in the crash. They didn't go very far. They just went straight up. And then, yeah, that was, yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was awful. Watch as both occupants eject as the aircraft gains elevation briefly before plummeting to the ground and into a house in a residential neighborhood in Kamloops. The um, pilot that was on the ground wasn't responding, but we could hear the one on the roof calling out in pain. So we just kind of tried to get some help. Remarkably, one of the snowbirds survived with serious injuries. The account of the pilots will be crucial in answering the question investigators and aviation experts alike are asking. What went wrong? You know, that's the first thing that came to mind was a bird strike. And then I saw uh, all this black smoke just over there and I'm like, holy crap, did a car blow up or a house blow up? I, I didn't know what to think, and then I realized it was the plane. This is just the latest blow to the country and its Canadian forces. Still reeling from another aviation tragedy barely three weeks ago. The Nova Scotia-based HMCS Fredericton crashing off the coast of Greece during a training exercise, killing all six members on board. Now more heartache on the West Coast, rippling right across the country. And so this uh, accident today really uh, shakes us to our core. What had been coined Operation Inspiration was meant to finish its journey over Vancouver on Sunday. Instead, the nation enters another season of grief as investigators work to determine why tragedy struck again. Sarah McDonald, Global News. And let's go now to Paul Johnson live in Kamloops. Paul, what can you tell us? 
Well, we're here at the edge of the accident perimeter here in the Brocklehurst neighborhood in central Kamloops. This is about a kilometer away from the airport. So that snowbird jet only flew over this neighborhood very briefly before they ran into trouble. The air crew ejected and then that plane crashed into a house here. It caught it on fire. We're told the occupants of the home were able to get out safely. The air crew parachuted down and came down on a property about five houses away. As you heard there, the male member of the air crew landed on the roof. He was injured but still conscious and talking. Witnesses have told us that he kept asking about the status of his crewmate. That's Captain Jen Casey. She was the public affairs officer for the Snowbirds. She was on the ground beside the house and she did not survive the crash. Dana Hings is a retired nurse in the neighborhood who tried to help. Here's her story. I personally thought it was futile, um, but you have to work on the person. Do what we can. And um, uh, because she had catastrophic injuries. That was very, very clear. And, um, and everybody was taking turns doing CPR. I didn't. They ha kind of had things. They were, everybody was trading off, and I didn't uh, uh, do that. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't call on me to do that uh, because the other paramedics arrived, and then they hooked her up to a machine and to see if if there was kind of active um, life. And um, yeah, then they they were able to contact a doctor, and um, and then we were asked to stop. So what happened here? There's obviously going to be a lengthy investigation by the military to determine that, and you can expect the snowbirds are going to be grounded for a long time. You know, military pilots are frequently able to eject from their airplanes when they run into problems and survive the parachute ride down. Some of the witnesses here who saw what happened are speculating that maybe the plane was just too low for the parachutes to open properly, and that's why Captain Casey couldn't survive. That's the latest from here in Kamloops. Back to you, Colleen. Still many unanswered questions. Paul, thank you. The Snowbirds are aerial ambassadors for our country, famed for their breathtaking aerobatic shows. But in the squadron's nearly 50 years of service, there have been other accidents. Jordan Armstrong has that part of the story. The Snowbirds are a Canadian icon, but the Tudor jets themselves are ancient. First flown in the early 60s, the vast majority were retired two decades ago. Snowbirds as they are today, much like they were back in the, at the beginning. Now, old doesn't necessarily mean unsafe. Repairs are by the book. Every hour of flight comes with prescribed downtime for maintenance. Still, over the decades, there have been many incidents. Last October, a snowbird crashed before an air show in Atlanta. The captain ejected and wasn't seriously hurt. The fleet was grounded for more than a month, but returned to the air last December. Prior to this weekend, the last fatal crash was in October 2008 in Saskatchewan. A report later determined there were no mechanical problems and the pilot may have lost awareness of his low altitude. May 18, 2007, almost 13 years to the day of the Kamloops crash, a snowbird pilot died while practicing for an air show in Montana. December 2004, a mid-air crash between two snowbirds in Saskatchewan killed Captain Miles Selby of Tawasson. 
There were also deadly crashes in 1998, 1991, and 1989, when a snowbird crashed into Lake Ontario during an air show at the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. The military has always insisted the snowbirds are safe, despite their age. There are plans to keep them flying until the year 2030, when the jets would be closing in on their 70th birthday. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, the Snowbirds tour was lifting the spirits of this country from coast to coast to coast. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, what are we hearing from our political leaders? Yeah, aside of modern communications calling, no one available in front of the uh, television cameras today or the public, uh, but politicians increasingly taking the social media, uh, media to make uh, their concerns and statements known. So Adrian Dix, Health Minister Adrian Dix, would take a look at the first one. He practically broke the story on Twitter this morning, tweeting that late this morning, BC Emergency Health Services received multiple calls about a plane crash near the Kamloops airport. Paramedics and air ambulances were dispatched and one individual was transported to hospital. Our thoughts are with all affected during the, this difficult time. He put that up before all the facts were known in terms of uh, the unfortunate fatality. Also, f soon after that this afternoon, Premier John Horgan offered his thoughts as well on Twitter again. Uh, I join people in Kamloops, British Columbians and Canadians in shock and sadness at today's Snowbirds plane crash in Kamloops. Our thoughts today are with Snowbird, uh, Snowbirds crew members, their loved ones and everyone in the Royal Canadian Air Force. And then finally, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau offered his thoughts as well, again on social media, saying, I've been in touch with uh, Veteran Affairs Minister Harjeet Sajjan about the Snowbirds crash in Kamloops, BC. My thoughts are with the brave members of the RCAF. The Canadian Air Force will provide an update as soon as possible. Sort of the modern age of, of communications, again, Colleen, in this time when fast-moving events were taking place, these politicians were out there pretty quick with information, not having all the facts at hand. I would imagine Prime Minister Trudeau will be addressing this at his next media availability outside Rideau College, uh, Rideau Cottage in, in Ottawa, probably tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, we're hearing that he might be doing something this evening, so we will be staying Good. tuned to that. Yep. Keith, thank you. It has become a disturbing and ugly side effect of the COVID-19 pandemic, an increase in racist attacks. Now two more to tell you about in Metro Vancouver, one in East Van and another in Coquitlam. Grace Key reports. Dakota Holmes was walking her dog Cato Friday evening at Grace Park in Vancouver when she sneezed. A man punched her in the face, mistaking her for being Asian. He uh, heard me sneeze and he came up and uh, assumed I was Asian and got, was yelling all these racist, racist slurs at me. And... Um, yeah, and then he uh, punched me in the face. Cato nipped at the man's leg and the suspect ran off. Dakota is actually Indigenous, the daughter of Don Bain, a special advisor in Premier John Horgan's office. If this happens to you, don't be afraid to share your story. It's important for things like this to, you know, be known. And, uh, yeah, you know, we're all in this together. We're all strong. And yet... Another family has come forward, posting this disturbing message that was left on their parents' lawn in Coquitlam. My mom was gardening uh, in the morning, and then she noticed something uh, on top of a bush in her flower bed. The message was written on a plastic ice cream lid, telling the elderly couple to go back to China. Michelle, an essential health care worker, went to her parents' house right after work. They took it better than I thought, but they were still disturbed. Um, they were also very sad because they've lived in that neighborhood for 
30 years. Michelle also wanted to share this story, hoping others will speak out. I want people to be more aware and to speak up because hate and racism is not tolerable. It shouldn't happen in Canada. Police are now investigating the Vancouver and Coquitlam incidents. Grace Key, Global News. The RCMP's major crime unit is investigating the discovery of an abandoned baby in Port Coquitlam. RCMP were called to a townhouse complex on Ranger Lane just before 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Police won't say where the infant was found, but do say the child is in hospital and is doing well. No word if police have made contact with the baby's guardian. Angel's Cradle at Vancouver's St. Paul's Hospital is an anonymous refuge for abandoned babies. A doctor there believes the pandemic may have been a contributing factor to an increase in infants being abandoned and wants more women to know how it works. When you open this door, um, they, there's a bassinet for the baby, and when the door closes, there's a 30-second delay before it notifies the nurses in the emergency department that there's a baby here. That's plenty of time for her to leave, and even if she hadn't left, nobody would approach her. It is a safe place to leave the baby, and the baby is taken care of, and an appropriate family is found for the baby. One of the largest hotels in Victoria is set to welcome back visitors next month. The Hotel Grand Pacific will reopen on June 21st, but expect limited capacity at the 304-room hotel. Staffing will also be kept to a minimum to ensure safe physical distancing. Food and beverage options will be reduced, and the pools, sauna, and steam room will remain closed. Like so many other hotels, the Grand Pacific was closed in March due to the pandemic, leaving some 170 staff temporarily laid off. With travel restrictions, tourism in B.C. has been hit hard by the pandemic. But a new alliance formed in the Okanagan is working to make sure the industry there bounces back. As Shelby Tom reports, it's aiming to entice people to visit once restrictions are relaxed. Cooler weather dampening fears tourists would flock to Okanagan beaches this long weekend. Many also heeding the advice of Dr. Henry. This weekend, less travel is incredibly important. I think cycling and volunteering is kind of the best of both worlds. COVID-19 crippling the Okanagan tourism industry in a region that relies heavily on visitor dollars. I expect to sell maybe 30 rooms a night, whereas we're used to selling 118 rooms a night on a long weekend. The Holiday Inn in Asuyu struggling with an acute labour shortage and low occupancy rates. It's just about impossible to um, even pay the bills before you even look at paying staff. We're finding it especially difficult. This is just 12 kilometers of a very long trail. At Hoodoo Adventure Tours in Penticton, business has screeched to a halt. All revenue cut off, but it wasn't just that, it was refunds for the season, so we've actually gone backwards. The region's destination marketing organizations have heard the dire outlook and are mobilizing behind the scenes on a comeback campaign once restrictions are lifted. Travel Penticton, spearheading the initiative, says they formed the South Okanagan Tourism Alliance. We really feel that uh, people need to, I think, rediscover what they have, what we do have in our own province. Tischik says the Tourism Coalition will share resources, pool funds, and collaborate on package deals once they get the green light. Restaurants working with adventure operators, working with accommodation properties, um, working with the craft breweries or the wineries, all of these 
these different stakeholders, I think, need to work together. And it's a new way that we need to do it. A new reality and a new meaning to explore BC. Shelby Tom, Global News. It's been almost eight weeks since a group of B.C. doctors called for stricter measures to combat the spread of COVID-19, warning our province was on the same track as Italy. Tonight, as Kristen Robinson reports, the Royal Columbian Hospital physicians are pleased with B.C.'s progress and cautiously optimistic about what's ahead. I don't think we thought we could do quite this well so quickly. Two months after he and his colleagues called on the province to do more to contain the virus as they braced for Armageddon, Dr. Gerald DeRosa is relieved. We were preparing for scenarios like New York and Italy and places like that. Instead, the makeshift hospital set up inside the Vancouver Convention Centre sits unused. The surge in COVID-19 cases hasn't materialized. And in provinces with more than 1,000 cases, BC leads the pack in bending the curve. I think the measures put in place and people across British Columbia taking it seriously happened just at the right time. They were necessary, and that's probably why Armageddon didn't come. We got the message, he says. The concern now, what will happen is those restrictions are eased and the fine line between stepping forward and falling back. When that social distancing is not as rigid, um, what is going to happen to the rates? I think that in the fall, uh, the concern that arises is that we run into flu season. The elements of COVID on top of our usual uh, influenza or RSV season does create a bit more complexities. BC's top doctor says the province will be ready. Because we know as respiratory season starts, whether COVID will increase again, we still don't know, but it is a probability. Um, but we know we're going to start seeing influenza and RSV and all of the other things that cause respiratory illness and that we'll need to ramp up our testing to make sure we can rule out COVID. If there is a second wave, DeRosa says doctors will have more lead time to plan for it. We save lives, uh, not just the healthcare workers, but just the whole citizens of British Columbia, by complying with the restrictions, our death rates, our admission rates, they're much lower than other places. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Richmond RCMP are releasing a suspect sketch in a series of 15 suspicious hedge and garbage bin fires, 14 of them between January and April of this year. The suspect seen near one of the fires is described as white, between 17 and 19 years old, with blonde hair. He was wearing baggy pants, a gray, white and light blue zip-up hoodie with horizontal stripes across the chest. He was carrying a backpack with a silver canister. The first arson occurred on July 29 all happening overnight in a small area near Richmond Hospital. Delta police are releasing new information about a missing elderly man with dementia. 88-year-old Jarnail Sangera was last seen at around 11 o'clock Friday morning. Delta police are now sharing security footage of him walking along 112th Street and 88th Avenue just before he was reported missing. Police say Sangera has a faded Econ car symbol on one of his hands. His family says he's a frequent transit user and they're worried about his well-being. He was seen in North Delta near Nordal Way and 116th Street. Anyone who sees Sangara is asked to stay with him and contact police. 
A serial scammer who preyed on seniors has been sentenced to five and a half years in prison. 52-year-old Donald Robert Quinnell pleaded guilty to 22 counts of fraud. RCMP say Quinnell targeted elderly victims across Metro Vancouver, pretending to need help before scamming them out of their hard-earned money. Police in North Vancouver issued a warning about him last fall. Quinnell has a long history as a con man. In 2006, he was the prime suspect in a string of crimes in Langley. He served time and was charged in similar crimes from Chilliwack to Calgary. With physical distancing part of our new normal, one Vancouver Island city decided to be, well, playful with its new safety signs. Have a look. The city of Colwood near Victoria has posted these four social distancing signs featuring local wildlife. The first one says stay at least five seagulls apart. Seagulls are about 14 to 24 inches from tip to their, of their beak to the end of their tail. Another says stay at least four minks apart. A mink is about 18 to 25 inches from head to tail. These are little guys and are often seen fishing along the shore of the Squamalt Lagoon. A third says stay at least one seal apart. Harbor seals average about 1.7 meters in length. You'll often see their noses bobbing in the water off the lagoon beach. The final sign says stay at least one eagle apart. Often seen in the treetops or soaring above the lagoon, bald eagles have a wingspan of about two meters. Back now to the deadly crash of a snowbird's plane in B.C. today as they were preparing for their Operation Inspiration flyover. Paul Johnson is in Kamloops where the plane came down, resulting in the death of crew member Captain Jennifer Casey. Paul, you knew Captain Casey. Yeah, yeah, I did. So it's really a sad day for me and hard to uh, disentangle my job covering the story uh, with my memories of her. And... Um, Anybody in the media across Canada who'd covered the snowbirds in the past couple of years would have dealt with Jen Casey. She was a wonderful and capable ambassador, not just for the snowbirds, but for the Royal Canadian Air Force and for the military in general. I'd been working on a documentary about the snowbirds over the past year. That's how long I've been working with Jen Casey. This was meant to be a really big year for them. It was going to be their 50th anniversary year flying the Canada Air Tudor plane, which is a Canadian-built plane. And she would always talk about the thrill of flying in those planes because that was her job as the public affairs officer to fly around with the snowbirds and help tell their story. Here's a bit of my interview with her that we shot in January at their base in Moose Jaw where she talks about the thrill of flying in those jets. Uh, have excellent situational awareness so uh, keeping track of what's going on, what you should be doing next, um, if something goes wrong what do you do uh, the other thing is they need to be personable because our mission first and foremost is to get out there and connect with Canadians. So Jen actually had an interesting career story. This was a second career for her. Prior to this, she'd been a journalist. She was a radio reporter in Toronto. And as I got to know her, she talked about how uh, she caught the flying bug. No surprise, being in those cool jets for all of that time. And she was actually in the process of getting her wings and learning to become a pilot. I don't know how far she got or at what stage, but that was a dream of hers. And, uh, and she was flying on the last day of her life. Colleen. Clearly a great loss. Paul, thank you. 
Well, no doubt we are looking forward to a little more freedom when we enter phase two of our reopening on Tuesday. But even when more opens up eventually, there are places we're more willing to go than others. Ipsos polling exclusively for Global News shows that once it is allowed, a majority of us will go shopping at a mall or eat at a sit-down restaurant. But far fewer of us seem willing to stay in a hotel, attend a live concert, festival or play, or attend a live sporting event. Canadians with a household income of less than $40,000 a year are the least likely to want to resume social activities, while households with children at home are more likely to want to go out. Dozens of protesters gathered in central London this weekend to oppose government-imposed pandemic restrictions. British police made several arrests. Protesters carried signs accusing the government of violating their human rights. Last Sunday, the government outlined plans to ease the lockdown. People in England are now allowed to meet with another person from a different household in a park. Large gatherings are still not allowed. The Kansas City Zoo took a group of their humble penguins on a field trip to their local museum. The animals were given free reign to waddle around and soak in the culture. The trip was called an enrichment experience by the zoo, and it was for the penguins to stimulate their minds. I think that's amazing, Yvonne. Oh, that's great. You know, we all need something to just lighten up a little bit today. Totally. That made my day. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And this weather picture, it's much welcome, especially after the morning we've had a mixed bag. We're still tracking a few thunderstorms, especially for the interior. And I'll have more on that in just a moment. But here's what it looks like overlooking English Bay. Temperatures are sitting at 17 degrees. We've got a light northwesterly wind at nine kilometers per hour. The weather picture for a few spots today. This was captured by George in Yale Town, Vancouver. So thank you so much. Showing the cloud cover and a fantastic shot of a hummingbird. Jaden captured this in Peachland, so thank you so much for that great photo. And this was yesterday, but I wanted to show it of the sunset in Prince Rupert, so thank you so much, Lisa. All right, we still do have some instability, especially across the island. The eastern edge of the island saw a few lightning strikes popping up, so very isolated along that edge of the island. And the interior, we still have the risk of thunderstorms this evening. It'll ease off overnight, but then the instability kicks up once again for the afternoon tomorrow. And all areas across the central and southern interior of the province will be looking at the risk of thunderstorms. So still another blip in the forecast, and then a much-needed break is on the way. So here's what we are seeing across the south coast, Metro Vancouver. Cloud cover for the morning hours, the potential to see some drizzle, and then it starts to break up. Some breaks for the afternoon, much drier conditions. But by the afternoon with the daytime heating, it's for the interior that some active weather is going to pop up with some thunderstorms across the south coast on Tuesday. A much-needed break is on the way. Overnight tonight, Temperatures will dip down to 10 degrees with that chance for some drizzle. Very light in terms of precipitation for the morning hours. And then partly cloudy. More breaks will be by the afternoon. Temperatures tomorrow up to 18. The average for this time of the year sits at 17. Northeastern corners of the province. Risk of a thunderstorm for tomorrow. Drier conditions on Tuesday and calmer once again. Whitehorse will see more cloud cover tomorrow morning. A clearing is on the way and then the next round of rain is going to move in and heavy at times on Tuesday. Along the northern half of the province, some fog patches, cloud cover, a clearing. It does remain dry though and then showers moving in on Tuesday, rebounding once again on Wednesday. Caribou and central interior, so it's all areas across the interior. Risk of a thunderstorm, lots of instability for tomorrow. It'll be similar for the Colombian Kootenai 
windy with temperatures getting up to 16. Tops in Okanagan with the risk of thunderstorms could see the potential between 10 and up to 20 millimeters. So locally around those thunderstorms, a heads up for tomorrow. And then it eases off on Tuesday with the partly cloudy sky and temperatures will be up to 24. Whistler tomorrow, nice break on the way. Temperatures up to 15, even warming up to 19 degrees on Tuesday. And across the island, more cloud cover for the morning. The northern and central half will be included within that. Metro Vancouver, we've got cloud cover, a bit of drizzle for the morning hours. Breaks for the afternoon. Pleasant, though. Temperatures will be up to 18 as the high. A bright spot on Tuesday and Thursday so far on a long-range forecast. Showers will be popping up and a cooler one for our Wednesday. Colleen? Looks pretty good. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Five kittens in the North Okanagan will soon be looking for good homes after a harrowing rescue. Oh my God. Volunteers with the Shushwap Paws Rescue Society found the kittens trapped in a building in Salmon Arms Industrial Park. One of them ended up inside one of the walls. Rescuers ripped the wall apart to get the kitten, but the sound scared the rest of the kittens into hiding. They were actually trapped under the floor. I just got to get the feet through. Then we realized with the plywood out of the way, the third little kitten had dropped down about 10 feet into a slot about three inches wide. And so there was a bunch of wire up there. And so I, I cut it actually on a piece of metal. I cut two pieces of wire and a metal and made a noose and started fishing for that baby kitten and managed to get him after about you know 10 tries. It's magic. It really is when you save them. I mean, look at them. Yeah. <laughs> They're adorable. The kittens are now being cared for in a foster home until they are ready to be adopted out. But that's not all. North Vancouver City firefighters came to the rescue after another feline got stuck yesterday. This cat climbed into the attic space and wouldn't come out. The soffit vent had to be cut away to rescue the cat. It was unhurt during what the team called a harrowing procedure. <laughs> Good for them. A lot of kitten rescues <laughs> and happy endings as well. I know. It's, as long as they got happy endings, we're okay with I that. I think firemen, when they retire, they say, yes, I put out a lot of fires and saved, but how many kittens did you rescue? <laughs> you know, Good point. Bragging rights. No kidding. What have you got coming up there? Well, uh, more sports happening. Uh, NASCAR returning and some golf as well. Outdoor sports, so uh, maybe a little more doable during these times, leading the charge. So I, I've got highlights coming up. It's been a while since I've said that, so we'll... Uh, well, I'll see if I'm if how rusty I am or not. It sounds like I am, but we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm excited. It'll be good. Thanks so much, Barry. Returning to our top story, a member of the Snowbirds team is dead and another injured after their jet crashed into a home in Kamloops this morning. The crash leaving the neighborhood of Brocklehurst in shock and disbelief. Paul Johnson is in Kamloops tonight with the latest. Paul. Hey, Colleen, still quite a bit of activity out here in Brocklehurst near the crash scene. A lot of people now coming out after the dinner hour to see what's going on. Behind us, you can still see quite a good number of RCMP. And from the long lens on our camera, we could see some people in what looked like military uniforms still down there at the scene. There were actually two scenes down there. There is the house that the plane crashed into where it started a fire. We're told the occupants of the home got out safely. And then about five houses away is the property where the two air crew came down after they tried to eject from that plane. The male member of the air crew landed on the roof. He was taken to hospital. He's expected to survive. His female counterpart, Snowbird's public affairs officer, Captain Jen Casey, did not survive, and she was found dead at the scene. 
We spoke with a woman who lives in this area and she's a retired nurse. She was in the vicinity when this happened. She tried to do her best to help Captain Casey. Here's how she described it. I personally thought it was futile, um, but you have to work on the person. Do what we can. And um, uh, because she had catastrophic injuries. That was very, very clear. And, um, and everybody was taking turns doing CPR. I didn't. They ha- kind of had things. They were, everybody was trading off. And I didn't uh, do that. Uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't call on me to do that uh, because the other paramedics arrived. And then they hooked her up to a machine and to see if, if there was kind of active um, life. And... Um, yeah, then they, they were able to contact a doctor, and, um, and then we were asked to stop. One thing I think is worth pointing out at this point, um, that Snowbird jet was not doing any of the kind of acrobatic flying that they're known for. This wasn't an air show at all. In fact, what they were doing was taking off and just transiting out to Comox, where they have a base there where they usually practice and try to put their air show maneuvers together. How did this happen? That's still unclear and is obviously going to be the subject of a lengthy investigation by the military. But military pilots are frequently able to eject from their airplanes when they run into trouble and parachute down safely. In fact, a Snowbirds pilot had done that at an air show in the U.S. just this past fall and was uninjured. Why did this happen? Some of the witnesses who saw it suspect that maybe the plane was just too low for the parachutes to open adequately. Obviously, we'll find out in the coming months. You can expect that the snowbirds are going to be grounded for quite some time. Colleen? Paul, thank you. Barry is here now with a look at sports. And Barry, I have kind of an existential question Mm -hmm. to ask you tonight. Sure. If there's a NASCAR race and there's no audience there to watch it, did it really happen? No. No, yes, of course it did. Of course it did. No audience live to watch it, but uh, millions, millions watching on TV. I think people are just looking for anything to to watch live. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, It's been 10 weeks since NASCAR held its last race, but the good old boys were back on track today at Darlington Speedway in South Carolina. Being an outdoor individual sport, NASCAR in a position to lead the way back, but it was certainly a different vibe. No fans, no families and sponsors crowding pit row, no practice or warm-ups even all week for the drivers. Their first time on track was today when the green flag dropped for the Real Heroes 400. Who are those masked men? Well, 40 cars in the field today. It did not take long for the first caution. Just moments after the green flag dropped, Ricky Stenhouse got aggressive, tried to make up some immediate ground, but it cost him, slams hard into the wall. His day was over in just seconds, but he's the proud uh, owner of the first highlight of a wreck in NASCAR's return. Lap 90, final stage of the final lap of stage one, race leader Jimmy Johnson will wreck, and one of the pre-race favorites is done for the day. Jimmy's finished. 33 to go. Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman in the 88 car battling for the lead. Harvick on the wall manages to hold off Bowman, retains the lead, and Harvick would take it home from there. Takes the checkered flag at Darlington. First win of the NASCAR restart goes to the veteran Harvick, his 50th career NASCAR victory. Celebrate with donuts. What else? They'll race again Tuesday at Darlington. Eight races in the next 11 days at two tracks for NASCAR. 
the PGA Tour returns in just over three weeks. A full 156-man field will play the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial in Fort Worth, Texas. We're expecting all of the top Canadians like Adam Hadwin, Nick Taylor, and Corey Connors to be there and other top players like Ricky Fowler. Ricky was playing golf today with current world number one Rory McIlroy, former world number one Dustin Johnson, and up-and-comer Matthew Wolf. The four played a charity skins game at Seminole Golf Club near Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. The uh, tailor-made driving relief skins match, raising money for frontline workers uh, for the uh, fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. The players carrying their own clubs, old school, no caddies and casual attire. McElroy and Johnson won one team, Fowler and Wolf on the other. Ricky on 12 from 73 yards out, clips it perfect to within two feet, won the skin. If you're unfamiliar with what a skin is, you have to win the hole outright. If it's a tie, the money carries over to the next hole, and sometimes it's for a lot of money. Meanwhile, Rory with the shot on 16, almost holes out for Eagle. Would have got $400,000 in the skin there, but Matthew Wolf will make his putt to force the carryover, and they play on. So the 18th hole was worth $1.1 million, and Dustin Johnson had a chance for the win. You think playing for 10 bucks is a lot. How about $1.1 million? But he missed it, so we need a playoff. They go back to 17, one shot each from 120 yards out, closest to the pin wins. Wolf, the only guy to get on so far, so it's up to Rory, and the world number one comes through barely. The TV angle there is... Uh, is, is uh, misleading, but Rory was closest, and he and Dustin Johnson win $1.85 million. Counting phone pledges and birdie bonuses, they raise $9 million for frontline workers. Opening weekend of the Bundesliga restart, concluding with top-of-the-table Bayern Music, Munich visiting uh, Union Berlin just before half. Leon Goretzka fouled in the box, so a penalty awarded. Robert Lewandowski from the spot, and uh, never a doubt. 26th goal of the season for Lewandowski, now the highest scoring non-German in Bundesliga history. 228 career goals for the Poland native. Then off a corner in the 81st, Benjamin Pavar will go up and nod it in, and Bayern Munich now leads by four points atop the standings. 2-0 the final over Union Berlin. Alfonso Davies played all 90 minutes as it was dangerous for Bayern Munich today at left back. And we've also got uh, Cole, FC Cole versus Mines, 53rd minute, perfect service to uh, Florian Kynes, the diving header, and it's 2-0 Cole, they looked well on their way, but Mines got one back, and then they'll equalize in the 72nd on a brilliant run by Pierre Kunde, the man from Cameroon doing it all himself, it ends 2-2 as the Bundesliga returns to action in Germany. The Whitecaps are likely at least a month away from resuming their MLS schedule. They just started individual training at their facility this past week after two months of isolated training. Midfielder Andy Rose and his mates allowed on the pitch for just 60 minutes. Now, after being cooped up at home for so long, it was the best hour of the day they've consumed in a long, long time. Yeah, it's been so strange, obviously, only connecting with, with your teammates over over Zoom and phone calls. Um, so to, to be back in, in kind of our home base uh, felt great. And of course, it's only phase one. Um, but, you know, to, to get to the next phase, we have to go through this individual part. So uh, it's, uh, it's a great step forward. We're all set up in our own individual quadrants, um, which is very strange. There's no passing back and forth. It's very much on your own, on your own with a ball. 
Um, but no, it, it did actually, obviously, back on our on our own training field uh, in familiar surroundings. It's much better to go and train there and get your workout in than it is in your in your living room. Um, so no, it did actually. It, it it felt like a great step. You can see how happy they are just being able to train by themselves at the facilities. Just the opening steps for their return. Like I said, at least a month, maybe two before MLS gets uh, back at it, if they do. If they do, but progress, one step yes. at a time. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Time for our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we're honoring a mother-daughter duo. Sarah McKenzie works at Royal Columbia Hospital in New Westminster as a lab technician, and her mother, Brigitte McKenzie, as a residential care worker at Arcus Community Resources, a long-term care facility in Maple Ridge. Sarah works in the chemistry lab where test results found by her and her colleagues result in saving lives and are preventing false diagnosis, which could be lethal. Brigida works with clients who suffer from cerebral palsy, and she is known to make them all feel unique and special. So thank you, Sarah and Brigida, and thank you to your teams. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos and a description to healthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. Isn't that lovely? Keeping it in the family, mm-hmm. too. Caring for each other. Love it. Thank you, and thanks to both of you. Now, before we go, one last look at a tragedy that Canadians across the country are feeling tonight. Here in B.C., this was supposed to be a weekend celebration with many eagerly awaiting the flyover by the snowbirds. But Operation Inspiration turned tragic this morning at around 11.30 when something went terribly wrong. One of the snowbirds crashing into a house in a Kamloops neighborhood. We understand the occupants got out safely. But Captain Jennifer Casey of Halifax was killed. The pilot ejected, landing on a roof. Amazingly, he suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The incident raising questions about the future of the snowbirds on this, their 50th anniversary year. And that is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11 with the latest on the snowbird crash. Donna Friesen has the new reality next. Thanks for joining us and stay safe.